Amen. Thanks, Russ. Well, I was pretty floored by that time of worship, so I hope I can keep my emotions in check. Um, I watched Annie for the first time a couple of weeks, to, a couple of days ago, to my children's amazement. And it wasn't because I was feeling down and needed a movie to pick me up. Uh, it was because I knew I was going to be preaching about adoption and assurance this Sunday. And I thought I'd just try and get a cultural view of, of what society thinks about adoption at the moment. Um, Rach and I have four kids, um, and we've got a few friends that have adopted, but we don't have any first-hand experience of adoption. But um, the movie was okay. You know, I'm a big Jamie Foxx fan, so, so that was good. Um, and, the, and the girl actor, she was incredible. Um, but I did find there were a few problems with the film, really. One of them is, and I know there are some awful foster carers out there in society, um, and the system is pretty broken, but I also know that there are many amazing foster carers, and probably a few here in our congregation. And this film does not paint a good picture of foster care. But secondly, and more disturbingly, it was pretty apparent that the adoptive parent was actually being parented by Annie, the child. Um, the, this, this father was really emulating the character of Annie as the film progressed through. But really, we know on the whole that children emulate the character and the value system of the parent, which is a sobering thing for parents and a huge responsibility. And in this film as well, the parent <laughs> learns how to love. He doesn't even know how to love. He learns how to love through Annie teaching him how to love. And really, we also know that a parent should never receive their emotional support from a child. And I say all this not because I think that you have, you know, your worldview of adoption sort of referenced from the film Annie, but because culture does seep into our psyche. And today, I want to show, as, as much as I can, the beauty and the difference of God's adoption of us. But other than that, if you like musicals, go and watch Annie. So in the Bible, God uses adoption to describe our identity, our identity as Christians. It is so incredibly significant in how we relate to God, how we relate to each other, and how we conduct ourselves just in the world. And if God uses adoption to reveal to us just how sure we can be about his unconditional love and our security in him and our eternity in him, then surely our understanding of adoption is really critical. J.I. Packer, who's an incredible preacher and author, wrote this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they can make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not their, the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayers and their whole outlook on life, it means they do not understand Christianity very well. So why don't we dive into some scripture. We're going to be in Galatians um, 3.23, the actual passage we're going to focus on is in Galatians 4, but just for some context, I think we need to read beforehand. So here it goes, it should be on the screen as well. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, 
locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ. And then in chapter 4, it says, What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because we are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. There is a lot to unpack in that scripture. The Greco-Roman world was a patriarchal society. So when you hear the word son, please don't think that that excludes daughters from the application at all. It's just that sons were those who would inherit the estate in that culture. And Paul is saying he might as well be a slave. Now, we need to try and ensure we're seeing slavery here as for what it is in this culture, still detestable in every way, but quite different to the slave trades of the 16th century onwards. In the Greco-Roman culture, sometimes a male servant may be adopted into a Roman family in order that an heir of the estate would be in place and to continue the family name. But while this heir was a minor, he had no more freedom than a slave though the estate would be his inheritance. So what tended to happen was a guardian would confine the heir to limited access, they would teach them and get them ready um, for their future inheritance. But the sense you get from the story is one of confinement and restriction, not one of relationship really, one that's law-based and duty-based. What Paul's trying to do here is symbolize the Jewish Torah, the law, on one hand, as the guardian. And he does that when he's talking to the Jews. But he's also symbolizing pagan religions and dark forces as this guardian as well when he's talking to Gentiles. So a lot of Gentiles were coming into the Christian faith from these pagan religions. But then what Paul says is, when Jesus came, he adopted us into the family and removed the need for the guardian, the law. It's not that the law was bad. In, in fact, we needed the law to confine us and restrict us from killing ourselves. Um, so there's nothing wrong with the law, but it was never going to bring us right relationship with God or salvation that we earn ourselves because as human beings, we completely suck at, at keeping the rules and the laws, as we all know. So what God did is he made this adoption of us legally legitimate by incorporating us in his son Jesus. That's what it means to be in Christ. Jesus came and perfectly fulfilled the law by living a perfect life, one that we could not live. 
and he put us in right relationship with God through his perfect life, but also in his agonizing death on the cross, where our sin and our shame and our failure and our unworthiness was put to death on the cross at a great cost. His blood was a ransom for our sin. And now the Father sees us as righteous because we are found in the righteous one. Son, daughter, heir. That's a lot to unpack there, but that is the gospel. That is the gospel that we believe in. Adoption is such a beautiful gift to us on the horizontal level. I honestly think that every Christian uh, family should seriously consider adoption. It's beautiful on this level among us for many reasons, but the greatest reason is that it was founded in the heart of God. And it so clearly demonstrates the grace and mercy of God. Because we weren't adopted because we were the kind of kids that wouldn't give parents a hard time. Neither were we adopted because we weren't too old to have been tainted by life struggles, maybe previous trauma or abuse. We also weren't cute and clever like Annie, who had the emotional capacity to actually support the adoptive father. Adoption is not accomplished. It is not dependent on me and you. It is not a reward for good behavior. You know, of all the good friends that I have who have gone through the adoptive process, none of them, oh sorry, all of them initiated the process of adoption. And all of them committed to loving the children that they would receive unconditionally, even before they knew them. As far as I know, none of the children were able to sort the paperwork out for the adoption process and then coerce an adult into signing them up for adoption. Adoption is God's declaration about me and you. As we reach out in faith and trust God, and even that process is prompted by the Holy Spirit. Maybe we need a a, a kind of Christian cliche to hammer this home. Adoption is received, it is not achieved. In fact, nothing in the Christian life is born out of merit. It is all of God's mercy and grace. Adoption is greater than the universe. Now, some of you are probably thinking, okay, Sean, adoption's good, but calm down. It's the universe. Well, I just want to read something to you, something that if you're a Christian, you've probably heard this a hundred times, but something just popped out in this bit of scripture for me that I hope will do the same for you. In Ephesians 1, it says, praise be to the Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. In ancient scripture, the world was everything created. To be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In accordance with his pleasure and with his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. This is what it is all about. We are predestined. We were in the heart of the Trinity. We were in God's thought process before the universe was. The universe's purpose is our adoption as children. Before the sun was formed, before a star was in the sky, God set his sights on your soul. It was the father's initiative. It wasn't the child's initiative. It wasn't Annie with all her charisma peeling back the onion layers of the father whose motives were not good. You know, in the story of Annie, this, this rich father actually just uses Annie initially just to better his image. But God's image cannot be bettered. And it certainly cannot be bettered by you and me. In fact, Jesus' image was completely marred on the cross because of our sin and our shame. But for the joy, which is us, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and scorned its shame. In love, in love we were predestined. In love. Do you need to hear that today? Why were you adopted? He loves you. He loves you now. He loved you then as well. You and I are the reason that the Father sent Jesus, his beloved Son. That we who have rejected him might be brought back, but not just brought back as creatures again, but as children. To enjoy this incredible love that the Son Jesus has always known. Just think about the Son for a second. He is the one who is eternally and utterly loved by his Father. The Father would never ever moderate or renounce his love for his Son. And the Son now comes to share with us that same love, that same relationship. And the Father is pleased to have us as well. Nothing could give us greater confidence in our assurance. How great is the love of the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is who we are. But for some of you, that might not even be sinking in yet. But I'm actually not that surprised. Because so far, we've only really seen half of the good news that's actually in this scripture. Let me just take you back. It says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. Us humans are pretty complex. It's tiring, isn't it? You see, it's not enough for your father to be declared your father legally. We need to feel that we are our father's son or daughter. 
an experience of the status of beloved son and daughter is what we need and what we seek. Because you are his, his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls Abba Father. You see, the Holy Spirit goes so much further than an intellectual argument or a legal binding covenant of which the cross and the blood of Jesus, there is absolutely no greater. But the Spirit does so much more than that. He does a deep work in us. He testifies. He, he comes into agreement with our spirit and says, no, you are a child of God. It's not just that we are brought before the Father in the Son. It's that we receive the Spirit which Jesus also received. Jesus said it in John 16. He said, the Spirit will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. The Spirit takes what is the Son's and makes it ours. So when the Spirit rested on the Son at his baptism, Jesus heard the Father declaring, this is my beloved Son in whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Those same words, because we've received the Spirit's Sonship, are ours as well. I am adopted, beloved. As Jesus says to the Father in John 17, you have loved them even as you have loved me. Mike Reeves in his excellent book, The Good God, which I thoroughly encourage anyone to read, he says it like this. And so as the Son brings me before his Father, with their spirit in me, I can boldly cry, Abba, for their fellowship I now freely share. The Most High, my Father, the Son, my great brother, and the Spirit, no longer just Jesus' comforter, but mine as well. So why do I need to know I'm loved and experience that love in such a deep way? Surely, we're just functional beings designed for rational thought and productive work. Well, if you watch any film, they will tell you that there is more to life than that. It's written into the DNA of every human being. You don't need a functional reason why you need to experience this. The human heart needs to be loved and to love. That's the end of the story. But I'm going to try and give you some functional reasons as well. Firstly, by being assured of God's love, it gives you courage. Courage beyond anything on this earth. If you are truly assured that the God of the universe sees you and loves you and has prepared an eternity for you, you will endure anything the world can throw at you for the sake of that love. It's one of the most significant reasons why Christianity spread so successfully. Secondly, forgiveness. It will allow you to forgive others who have hurt you, which in turn will free you from the pain and bitterness of unforgiveness. If you genuinely know the extent of God's forgiveness of you and adoption into his family, then forgiveness of others becomes possible. Not easy, but possible. Thirdly, it'll make you more generous. If you understand that you have been brought into the family of heaven and are sons and daughters of Jehovah Jireh, our great provider of everything that we need, and that we have an eternal inheritance with the Holy Spirit as our deposit, you won't look like the stingy world out there who cannot 
give of their finance resources and energy and time. Fourthly, it will kill the need for comparison. If you are loved and accepted by the Holy of Holies, even though he knows every single thing you've ever done in thought, past and present, every evil, de- every, every evil deed, and still he desires relationship with you, then comparing ourselves to just anyone else is utter foolishness. You know, I love the way my, uh, one of my daughters responds to me saying to her that she is beautiful. Do you know what she says? I know. But it's not an arrogant response. What she seems to mean from her response is, I'm beautiful because you say I'm beautiful, Dad. It's not as if loads of people are coming up to her and saying that she's beautiful. It's just that those responses don't mean as much as my love for her. And long may that continue. Finally, identity. It will stop you being defined by what life has thrown at you, what people think of you, or what you think of yourself, which is probably the most dangerous of them all. It's exhausting to define yourself. And yet the world promotes this self-identification as the greatest fad since sliced bread. It's just a never-ending performance. Looking within is never going to make you better. The Christian hears a different voice. The voice of the transcendent from the pure, undefiled source of perfect love. And you know what he says? He says, you are mine. You are wanted. You are accepted. You are loved and you are adopted. And it was never dependent on you. And it never, ever will be dependent on you. So if you are lacking an experience of this assurance, then I want to invite you again to be filled by the Spirit. We're going to take communion now in a second, so why don't we stand together? And um, it's a great time to do communion when we're thinking about what God has done for us in adoption. So there's something practical which needs to happen now in order for you to get some bread and wine into your hands. So I'm going to invite you all to come and grab bread and wine. There are two tables here at the front, and I think there should be just one cup, which will have the bread in it at the bottom and the wine at the top. So just grab a cup, and you should be okay. There are also some tables at the back, some gluten-free options at the back as well. So I'm just going to give you now literally two minutes and go and find... Um, what you need right now, and then we're going to pray together.
Okay, if you're back where you are, why don't we stand together? Let's take the bread. This is Jesus' body broken for us. Jesus, thank you for your body. Thank you that because your body was broken, that we can find forgiveness, redemption. We can be in right relationship with you again and brought into your family. Thank you, Jesus. Let's eat the bread. Jesus' blood was the ransom for our sin. Jesus, thank you for your costly sacrifice. Thank you for your precious blood that because of it, the debt of our sin has been paid off. And we know your full acceptance of us. Let's drink the cup. Before we just go straight into song, I just want to just give a bit of time right now. Why don't we just eyes shut, just posture yourself in a way that just says to God, I'm open. I'm open to receive your spirit. I want to know full acceptance. I don't want it to just be head knowledge, but I want it to be deeply rooted in me. So right now, in your own words, just call out to him and say, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Holy Spirit, come and fill me because I want to be able to cry, Abba, Father. And for some of you, there might not be anything dramatic happening. But for others, I believe you're going to receive the love of God. Like liquid love just coming right over you right now. Just reminding you that you have full acceptance. That he embraces you. That you run into the throne room of the living God and the Father comes and embraces you. That is what the Spirit promises Holy Spirit, just fall afresh. Just fall afresh on each one of us. Just come and do what only you can do. What goes way beyond any words. <laughs> just come and fall afresh on your sons and your daughters. That we would know full assurance. And Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just as the band now starts to play, just keep.
keep asking him. Maybe God will give you your own song to sing right now. Just spend time here in his presence. I am you. 